Hey, warriors, welcome to the Untamed Life podcast, where we are breaking free from those chains of the past and rising to lead extraordinary lives. I believe it's time for us to ditch the rules of this world that are keeping us enslaved in the grind, playing from behind, and instead opt into a conscious and strategic upgrade, one that is founded in spiritual principles that can only be accessed through the power of the heart. So if you are craving deeper, more meaningful relationships, vibrant bodies full of life force, true prosperity in all arenas, and a life of adventure, this podcast is for you. My name is Christine Jewell. I'm a high-performance coach and spiritual mentor, and together we will awaken the king or queen you are destined to be so that you can experience the fullness of life that's waiting for you. Let's dive in. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Untamed Life. This is Christine Jewell, and today I have a special guest on, and I'm really excited about this conversation. Everything about this topic lights me up, gets me like, oh, I'm excited to dive into the conversation. That's really what we're going to do today. We're going to have a conversation. I want it to be very raw, very real, very relatable. And so today I'm joined by therapist turned business coach. We always love when we hear that, don't we? Karen Hardwick on overcoming disconnection. And really the topic that I want to dive in today is, you know, that feeling of it's lonely at the top. How many people can relate to that comment of it's lonely, it's terrifyingly lonely at the top. So I think that this is going to be a great conversation to to support you guys and unpack some of the things that are happening in that position so karen is a psychotherapist turned leadership consultant she has a, div, a master's of divinity from princeton theological seminary which i want to unpack that as well and her unique approach blends modern psychology spirituality and leadership principles and has been the catalyst for transforming the lives of countless fortune 1000 leaders at work and home her book she has a book you guys will check it out in the show notes in the link the connected leader shows people how to use the seven strategies of connection to become their best selves as parents spouses and leaders at work she is no strangers to life messiness which i love she's not claiming to be perfect and have it all together she knows firsthand what it's like from her own personal journey and leaders she's coached that connection is what we crave Connection heals our wounds, it awakens our soul, and ushers us into our most authentic, courageous, and empowered selves. So with that, thank you for being here, Karen. I am honored to have you on the podcast. Oh, Christine, so good to be here. I was listening to some of your episodes, and you have such a lovely, invitational kind of energy to you. So here I am. I can't wait. Yay, good. I appreciate that. So I'm just going to hit it right out the gate. I'm not going to start by tell us your story and all the things. <laughs> I want you to just unpack one thing that I pulled off your website, and then we'll unpack your story and all the things. But I pulled something, and I have it here in bold. It says, we are not in a leadership crisis. We are not having a leadership crisis. I believe we are having a human being crisis, and that the most impactful leaders are those who learn to lead from their own connected heart and soul. I love that. And I was like, yes, to everything she just said there. Can you expand on that? And first, uh, just like, let's just start there. We are having a human being crisis. What is that? I love that you want to start there. It's, it's the bold print on the back of my book cover. I talk about this all the time, Christine. We are not leaders having a leadership crisis. Mm -hmm. We are leaders 
having a human being crisis. And mm-hmm. like, isn't that the truth? I mean, everywhere we look, there is so much collective and individual pain and burnout and confusion. So many people hustling for approval. So all the things that are symptoms of this deep pain, this disconnection, and sometimes people don't even feel that they're in pain. They just keep going. They just keep doing all the things, right? So yeah, we are leaders having a human being crisis. And that kind of summarizes my work. How can we get back to our true selves? How can we uncover those parts of ourselves that for a variety of reasons, we've covered up with masks and performances and the lies that we're enslaved to. And it happens all the time. You know this. It happens at the very top, like people making seven or eight figures. And it happens with people who are just eking out a daily life. We're just all so united in that sense of disconnection. Yeah, it's so true. And yet everybody feels like, well, I'm special in my in my problem and I'm special in my loneliness and like everyone else except for me is, you know, feeling different. And so I, I wanted to start there because I think like what you just said is yes to all that. And the the core of it is like really when we own our humanness, I think, right? When we own our humanness, we can at least all get on the same page that says, I know what it's like to be human. And at the end of the day, I am human. And sometimes I forget, as a leader, we forget that we're human. And we kind of, you know, have been taught or programmed to have to be superhuman and all these other things. And and so I wanted to start with that just for that. And so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, just who, who are the leaders? What is a leader? Let's just out the gate define also who is a leader in all of our humanness. <laughs> How do we define who that is? Who needs so to be I, listening to this? Yeah, right now? I think everybody needs to be listening to this because honestly, a leader is anyone who has people entrusted to their care, people who are looking to them who they're influencing. So those are stay-at-home parents and those are people who sit around the table in the boardroom. We are all leaders and we're all here for a very distinct purpose. We are in human school, right? And it is a tough curriculum. I mean, as we get things thrown at us, it is life on life's terms. I mean, sometimes I think God must think I'm a badass because honestly, it's like one more thing. Okay, we'll just figure this out. But honestly, that's what most people are dealing with. Mm -hmm. And what happens is so many of us deal with the ordinary stressors and then the extraordinary stressors with this sense of, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I'm going to oh. numb myself. I'm going to numb myself. I'm not going to pay attention to any of this. I'm overwhelmed. And so what that does is that just leads to more comparison and more disconnection. So, yeah. 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 The numbing out is real. It is dangerous. It yeah. is real. It is dangerous. Addiction is, uh, I think addiction is the real epidemic and people are not paying attention to that depression anxiety social media all the things so many things 
Yeah. That we confuse as connection, but they're really disconnection. Yeah. And I love you. I was listening to another podcast you did. I don't remember it off the bat, which one it was. So I apologize for not remembering, but you were talking about addiction, you know, the numbing. And I, I also am very passionate about this topic. My father was an alcoholic, um, a very high performing, high achieving man who, you know, was on his own for a long time and then was recruited by the CIA. And then like, you know, it's just like the perfect storm of recruiting an isolated man to perform. And then you know, just so he was my role model for what healthy, quote unquote, healthy relationship and performance looked like. So you can imagine how distorted that was growing up. Um, so, I, you know, living in a house of addiction, watching someone desperately, you know, trying to be and trying to do and trying to achieve. And then you get rewarded for performing and achieving and you, you kind of like just get the baton and you keep passing it on. So we talk a lot about addiction. I talk a lot about addictions in general, just because that's a little, you know, some of my backstory. But I think, you know, I want to dive into that topic of numbing out and addictions for a minute, because I think that we think, well, if I'm not, and by the way, some of us will call ourselves high functioning addicts of like whatever the thing is. And, you know, so I want to talk about what are some different ways that, you know, obviously we know how we numb ourselves, but I think a lot of people don't even realize they're doing it. And I, I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand and say, I didn't realize that I was numbed out and shut down and my heart had gotten hardened, right? So, and we know the symptoms of how they show up, but like, what are the things that are indicators for people that are like, okay, besides the fact like, okay, I'm drinking too much, you know, obviously I think we might be sticking our head in the sand and knowing that we're doing these things, but what what are some other ways that this this pattern, these symptoms show up in our lives of either numbing or addictions to kind of try to cope with all the superficial stuff that is really something much deeper that we got to get to, which we are going to get to. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of the iceberg model when it comes yeah. to addiction, when it comes yeah. to addictions. So I'm going to raise my hand too. I'm in recovery. I grew up in the disease. I'm in recovery now. And it has been the best worst thing. Yeah. Because it has been such a game, recovery has been such a game changer for me in terms of just really getting super rigorously honest about everything I need to be honest about in terms of myself. So how can I, instead of focusing on everyone else around me, how can I be focused on me? So I believe that all connection starts with ourself. We cannot lead or connect with anybody else, Christine, until we lead and connect with ourselves. I mean, St. Right. Augustine said it best, Lord, may I know myself that I may know thee. Yes. Right? So in terms of addiction, and I'll just talk a little bit about this and then we can chat. Yeah. Um, oh, addiction, it's just so ubiquitous. It's everywhere we look and people think it's about the drugs. Yeah. or the alcohol and, and Lord have mercy. We do have a tremendously yeah. heartbreaking, terrifying epidemic on our hands when it comes to substance um, abuse disorder. Mm -hmm. However, there's other kinds of addictions. There's shopping, mm -hmm. there's social media, there's work, all of these very normalized. There's porn, there's relationship addictions anything that takes the focus off of ourself in healthy ways and puts it on something else to make 
us feel better or to take us out of ourselves at the moment Mm -hmm. so that we can just zone out. Mm -hmm. So true. I had a savior complex addiction. (laughs) I wanted to save everyone in my life, right? And it's, it's, I think ultimately God uses that as our gift, but it's distorted for so long until we get this connection thing figured out, right? So just for everybody listening, if you're the people pleaser addiction or the alcohol, whatever that thing is, you know, it's just pointing us back. And I do believe that once we can harness it and have some, I love what you said, rigorously honest conversations with ourselves, with going within, we can begin to uncover and unwrap this gift that I think God wants to use in in each of our lives. But I know a lot of my listeners would label themselves fixers. Uh, I think one of my clients even said to me the other day, I am a professional fixer. That's why they bring me into places so I can fix organizations. And it's a cool identity until it's not anymore. And I was encouraging her to maybe upgrade that definition of being a fixer. So I would love for you to just talk about that for a minute, because I think a lot of people, you know, can definitely relate to, oh my gosh, I got to fix my husband. I got to fix my kids. I got to fix my teams. I got to fix everyone else. And they're constantly the source of everybody's you know, everything. So can you talk a little bit more? I know I'm not asking you a specific question, but like, what on earth is that about? I know I've released a podcast, but I'm not a therapist and I don't have the background that you have, which I'd love to unpack more. But like, from your take, I'm I'm so curious. What is going on there? So as you're talking, I'm nodding. I'm nodding and nodding because there's every, everything that you say I want to kind of get deeper about. First of all, first of all, I always say when I'm in a 12-step meeting, I am a recovering higher power. Like yeah. I really thought, right? <laughs> that's that's my thing. I am a recovering higher power um, because I really mistakenly thought that I could put my superhero cape on, yes, rush in, heal, fix, rescue. And I came by that honestly because I was my mother's caretaker when she was terminally ill from the time I was 10. Mm -hmm. So I think those of us who have this tendencies to rush in, put the superhero cape on, I know what to do, I can save you, have to remember two things. First of all, we have to be compassionate with ourselves when it Mm -hmm. comes to that Mm -hmm. because it's usually a trauma response Yes. And what we're doing is we're trying to numb our own pain by focusing on someone else's. Mm-hmm. Number two, no one wants to be saved. Can you like, say that again and again and again? <laughs> you said that and I was like, that is so, yes. Who here wants to be saved no. all the time? No one. I'm here to tell you because I got really sick and tired of being sick and tired because no one wanted to be saved. No (laughs) one wants to be saved. I mean, seriously, I would show up with a life preserver and throw it into the water and they're like, yeah, no. And then I'd come by in a kayak. Yeah, no, they're not getting into that either. And then I'd come by in a motorboat, like really comfy. There's a cooler on there. We have drinks. We have all the things. They didn't get in. And still, even with a yacht, so I'm, what I learned over many, many moons of trying to save people is it wasn't about them. 
Mm-hmm. I was trying to save other people to feel good about me. Yeah. It was about my own trauma, my own sense of unworthiness, my own sense of unlovability. And it seems really hard to say that because I wasn't feeling any of that. I wasn't getting up every morning and feeling unworthy or unlovable. And yet deep down in the cells of my body, I was experiencing that for a host of reasons, lots of experiences in my life around trauma, around loss, people telling me that I was so helpful. So I developed this mask, Christine, and thought this is this must be why I'm put on earth to save people. Yeah. But last I looked, there's only one savior and it sure as hell is not me. That is right. I love that you said that I am a recovering higher power and I can totally relate to that. And and as I was driving in the car with my husband, you know, I Like I said, there's a for those of you listening, there's another episode on overcoming the savior complex that I did way back when. And there's a two part series on that. But we are not the higher power and we are not the source. And, uh, you know, I have a saying that I always say is like, if I'm the source of everyone's answers, it's not going to be long before I'm the source of all their problems. And if I am the answer to everyone's problem, I'm going to be the reason for their problems because. Yes, because yes. then you become the person they can blame. So this becomes a shame blame game. In other yeah. words, underneath all of my rescuing tendencies, and I had really good intentions. It just was that the execution of them yes. was not helping me and was not helping anybody else. I do believe now through a host of healing modalities that everybody has their own journey, Christine. Mm-hmm. And when we rush in and save and rescue, what we're saying to that person is, you can't do it without me. I'm not only the source of your help, you get to blame me when it goes wrong and it will go wrong. Yeah. So now I become the target for your blame and your anger. So my shame, my hustling for approval my rescuing techniques then creates this blame game too. Does that make any sense? Totally. I love this. I love that we're having this conversation because, you know, I think like more parents need to hear this. And I always, I, I, I was actually having, you know, dinner outside with my oldest the other day when we were kind of talking like, what's the one thing if you could just remember one thing your parents have passed on? And she says, well, you know, you have this like I know you're going to love us no matter what. And also you're like tough love, you know? And I thought it's because my whole thing has always been, I'm here to, I want these kids to be independent, to know the well that they have inside, to be dependent on each other, but not to be so dependent. And also to know that I could drop them anywhere in the world and they could ask for help. They could reach out. They could, you know, source out. But I think it's, it was not a popular parenting style. I will say I had a lot of judgment come in my way because it was almost like, I felt like I got a lot of lashback from like, well, you're not doing enough for your kids. I was not saving them. If they forgot something, I was like, well, too bad. You know, you miss out this time. And it wasn't this constant rescuing that I see a lot that's going on. And I'm sure I still have plenty of opportunities where I was doing it, but this is something I was very intentional of. And, and I find it's a, it's a conversation when I, when I talk with parents, leaders who are depleted and they're just still like, they've got almost like adult kids and they're still treating them like three-year-olds and you know the conversation comes up of am I really equipping these 
these humans, I mean, I love what you said, like we're telling them in that moment, you don't have what it takes. You aren't strong enough. You're not capable enough and you need me. And then we're wondering why the parents are sitting here also exhausted and with no time for their relationship, marriage or whatever. But, you know, and I, and it's such a, it's a, it's an addiction and a disease too, to have to be like needed and wanted by your children and like be the best mom. And I, I work with a lot of divorced people. So a lot of people listening to this show, maybe, you know, guys have gone through a divorce. And so there's that compensation I know for like, especially after a divorce, right? Well, I want to be the fun one. I want to be the one. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of can we empower others? Because I know you brought that up in this in a previous uh, show that I was listening to because we often hear this conversation. Well, I'm here to empower them. Well, what does that even mean? Because ultimately, I think we have certain roles as parents that I think some of us haven't fully gotten as leaders. And I think we tapped into it a little bit. What what are we actually here to create? And what does it even mean to empower someone else? Is that even something you can do? Oh, I love that, Christine. Oh, I love that. So I don't think we can. I think it is a misnomer that puts us once again on the throne of having all the answers. Mm. I'm the source of everything. And I am even going to empower you. Yeah. So I say to the leaders that I work with all the time, and I say to the uh, people in about their personal lives, look, our main job as leaders, whether it be in the boardroom, whether it be on the manufacturing floor, or whether it be in the family room around the kitchen table is to create a psychologically safe place for our people so they can tap into the power within themselves. No one else can empower us. That is an inside job. Can we go into that? And I love that because the power, the source comes from the well within. And it's even when we say like, I'm going to empower you. It's like, I have the scepter and I will grant you the power. I feel like it's very manipulative. It pulls us into a very deceptive, manipulative loop, right? Which is an age old game. But I want to go into like, because I hear this question a lot, whether it's, I hear it actually a lot, not only in, um, companies were, oh my gosh, we have a mess now. Our employees are wondering what on earth, how do they trust us again? And also I hear it a lot in love relationships. Like what does it even mean to, how do I begin to create a psychologically safe environment? So I have a real, I, yeah, it's about the work we do on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's where it starts. So we have to be able to own our entire story. We have to accept it, all the details. We have to awaken to the truth of our story, which includes our gifts, our flaws, our mistakes. We have to understand that there is an entire catastrophe that we have to accept. We're all just bozos on the bus. And there's <laughs> such, there is such an amazing sense of freedom with that. Yes, we're yes. all bozos on the bus and we're awakening. We're accepting, we're awakening, we're mm-hmm. owning mm-hmm. our part, our stories. And then and only then can cr- we create the new chapter. 
which is a much more honest version of ourselves, to put down the masks, to be really vulnerable and authentic in discerning ways, to be empathetic and also hold other people accountable. Mm -hmm. When we do all these things, we start to move from disconnection to connection. And it's not an easy one and done journey, but this is how we create psychologically safe places. We begin with ourselves. By owning our own story. And does, does do you mean by that, like we're sharing, we're actually also sharing our story with our people, or it's just more of an, inter it's a yes and like owning your internal game of owning your story instead of hiding from it or being ashamed from it, like processing. What I'm hearing you say is like, we're processing and healing and dealing with with the story and learning to love it, you know, that acceptance and like almost honoring of the past, I think is my way of looking at it. It's like, you know, it happens. We always hear what happened for you. We don't like to hear that, but it's true. Like I know I wouldn't be the woman I am today if I didn't have the father I had, right? It took a while. I kind of could go through that season of acceptance and I could forgive, but honoring the past, that was a whole other, that was a whole other ball park of work, right? So I'm hearing like there's that that part of owning the story, but then is there also like sharing these stories? And are you talking about actually like creating a space where like we openly talk about these things with our teams, with our children, with you know, or is it more of just like owning it? Because I think like that's that's a question I actually get like a, a religious question, like how much do I share? Because some so, people are vulnerably spilling their guts all over the place. And now it's like there's I think that that's not safe either, because now we're creating emotional parents sometimes, you know, I, I love I love, love, love this topic, Christine. And okay. I'll tell you why, because okay. I think we I think sharing becomes an addiction, too. OK, can you? Yeah, because I like where's where, how much, when, you know, like, what does that look like? So when I say own our story. What I mean, and I'm going to take this from the guidelines in the 12-step recovery community, mm. we have to be able to be honest with ourselves about where we've been. We don't want to shut the door on the past. We don't want to have any regrets. We want to mm. learn from it. Having regrets is very different than making amends. Mm. We still have to own our mess while we learn to own our belovedness. Yeah. So, right. So this is all about owning our story. And it's such a one day at a time process. We own a little bit and then that allows us to go deeper. So, yes, it's an internal journey. And then we share it with a trusted person and we share it with our spiritual presence and we share it with the divine. Like we just get really honest and humble and accepting about ourselves. Then and only then are we more equipped to start to share it with other people. Because I believe that sharing has to ride shotgun with discernment. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Because that's something that right? is always coming up where I, I have these people that are going through their healing journey. And all of a sudden, mom gets to hear it and their sister and then their friend and their other best friend and I like and it's like whoa it's sacred and it's fresh and now these people are also pouring into this story either i mean i think poison or healing medicine 
Yes. And it becomes this sharing porn. It becomes this kind of peep show on an emotional basis. So when I do speaking engagements, I will, this is an example. So I tell, I tell my story. And I tell a lot of my story in my book, which is one of the reasons people say, I love your book because you are so vulnerable. However, I have a couple of rules of thumb. When I share my story, I work really hard, not perfectly, but hard not to tell anybody else's. Mm. Okay. So where are the boundaries? We have to be really clear about that. Mm When I speak in public, I'll say, I'm doing my part here to step out of the shadows, to break the stigma. So you are looking at someone impacted by addiction and abuse and trauma. And I'm not going to be sharing all the gory details about that. Yeah. I'm going to be talking a little bit about it and I'm going to be sharing what I learned so that you too can have hope. Mm. Just, yeah, so I'm just I love that you that said that. I really, I, I think I needed to hear this right now, what you just said, because I'm in the process of also writing a book. And, oh, and yeah, but, and it's in the early stages where I do share the story. And there's this element of like, oh my gosh, it's probably the hardest thing I've done. Honestly, I really wrestled with this because I was like, how, like how much? And I don't want to dishonor my father. And I also am like, right? It was a tumultuous, like raw experience for me. And I found myself trying to kind of like rush through it. And like, and I I just really pulled back and was like, no, I'm going to just sit with it. But I love what you said about, um, you know, sharing our story, not their story. Because I don't know his story. I mean, I can assume I, you know, we don't know their story. And it's so tempting for us to dissect and analyze everyone else that made us the way. But it's it's our story, right? So I love that you said that. And uh, that it's just enough for people to, to relate without having to relive it over and over and over again. And our story should not be this kind of proving ground. Like when I tell my story, I don't have to prove to you or anyone Mm -hmm. how hard it was or how rough I had it. So I think, and look, there's so many different stages of our connection journey and moving through all the pieces of disconnection. And I think we tell our stories differently today than we will 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Or we can hold it all lightly. Because I think we're here in human school to learn to hold our stories lightly and to hold each other's stories lightly. Yeah. I think that's really a good rule of thumb. And by lightly, I mean, we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the perspectives. We don't know all the things. Mm. So while everything belongs and everything is grace, sometimes we just have to say, I don't know. Yeah. And that's that's okay. okay. And that's okay. Those are some powerful words, right? Can I be okay with not knowing? Can I just be okay with listening? Can I be okay with sharing and just not having to explain anymore? (laughs) Oh, so much. Yes. So much good. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your story then. Why don't, I mean, we haven't really unpacked it. You said I'm a recovering higher power. I know you share a little bit about it in the book. You also went from being a therapist to a business coach. So I'm also curious about 
that piece of the story? Like what made you go from therapist to business coach? We already know that what I, you know, obviously you can go back to being a caretaker for your mom or whatever piece you want to pick up on. Like what got you to the place, you know, that really got you into this work. But I'm also, and I'm also curious about why does a therapist turn business coach? <laughs> and I'm also curious about like, what does it mean to have a master's of divinity? <laughs> <laughs> I want all the answers. I want all the pieces of this story. Is, Share is whatever there... you feel is on your heart. So, so much. Okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna so so much, Christine. Um yeah, you it's really so know how to ask the it, it's been quite the journey and it's also very connected and purposeful. So mm -hmm. again, as I said before, everything belongs, everything is grace. And it's such a sigh of relief when you start to understand, oh, this is all working together. Like yes. somehow or other, yeah. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a lot of chaos and a lot of trauma and I didn't know it while it was going on. It was just what I knew. Yeah. And there was so much good that came from it. And that's not to paint the red flags pink. I do not believe in toxic positivity. I do not believe in brushing things underneath the carpet. I just yeah. do know when I look back now after many, many moons, it really was all grace. I really yeah. had a lot to learn. Yeah. And it was an mm -hmm. arduous journey. I mean, it led having a mom diagnosed with a terminal illness when I was 10 and she was the center of my world rocked me and all I wanted to do was heal her and save her and keep her alive because mm. what in the world was I going to do without her I couldn't even fathom a world without her and so I became this superhero rescuer and what happened when I couldn't save her because of she died was I looked for other people to save mm -hmm. because only years later did I realize that her death made me feel so unworthy. Yeah. Like I couldn't save her. Yeah. And so to prove my worthiness, I looked for a lot of other people to save, which of course led me down into some really kind of dark places okay. into relationships that were not good for me. But if there was somebody to save, I was going to be rushing in. And so there was mess and there was more pain and there was more loss around all of that. And when I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and my son was 10, mm. which was the same age I was when my mother was diagnosed with her terminal illness, I went into overdrive to, to protect him and to save him and to scaffold him and to build him up in a way that um, was overindulgent. Yeah. You know, I protected him in a way that I wish I had been protected. Yeah. Yeah. So all of these pieces, though, allow me to really understand myself, yeah. show myself tremendous compassion, forgive myself for parenting mistakes I made. Mm -hmm. 
right? And also I bring all of this to the table because yes, I am a spiritually and psychologically trained executive leadership coach, which means I approach all of this with a very emotional and spiritual and relational perspective, which during this time of the great resignation, and when so many people are suffering from burnout and our workplaces are really in tremendous turmoil, this is what people need. Not to take their eyes, not to take their eyes off of the business metrics. So I get it. I mean, we're here to make a profit and we're here to grow, share, and we're here to do all those things and let's go do it. Let's go after it. However, we're not going to do it in any really sustainable way until we approach leadership from a more human perspective. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we are not designed to be production factories. We cannot be treating humans like machines. And at the end of the day, like it's human to human, you know, it's humans and, and everybody feels and everyone is craving to be validated and to be valued and all of that. So I, and I, you know, I'm very spiritual in my approach too. And I, I just don't, I don't believe that we can do this work unless we get into the spiritual side of things. I mean, I think we can go to a, a certain level, but I don't know. I'm like, what is your take on that? Because I really, I know in my own life, God knows I tried all of my other ways because I was very driven and I did all of the typical business things and all of the high performance things and all of the personal development things and all of the health. I used to have a holistic health and performance studio and it, it only got me so far. Well, I love hearing that because you're speaking my language. <laughs> uh, so there's a difference between spiritual and being religious, right? Yes. I do believe, like I'll say this in my book, look, Jesus is my guy. I am just super honest about that. Even though I think he sometimes gets in the car with me to ride shotgun and lovingly rolls his eyes because it has been a wild ride. However, he is my guy. And that doesn't mean that I believe he's everyone's guy. Everyone has to find their path to a transcendent experience. And thanks to Lisa Miller and her team at Columbia University, she wrote The Awakened Brain. I, I like to give her a shout out as much as I can. Okay. Her research is showing that there's parts in our brain that are not just wired for connection. There are parts of our brain that are wired for a transcendent relationship, a personal relationship with a mm -hmm. spiritual power. We are hardwired for it. We are. We are. And when we when we don't give that the attention and the nourishment that it needs, there's something about us that is not in alignment. Yes. I could not agree more. I love that. I have not read that book. I'm going to write I'm going to write that down. I'm going to check it out because I do. It's like we're hardwired for it. We're softwired for it. And I just I just remember going through my journey and trying everything in the book. And I was very dedicated and spent hundreds of thousands on dollars on mentors and business coaches and masterminds and all of the things, all of the athletic things. And, you know, at the end of the day, I do believe like that will get us to a certain point, but what gets us there will not get us to, to really be in the outpouring and the blessing of this like amazing life that I believe God has created for us to experience it and also an amazing way to do business honestly I think like we are on this 
not only like there's a, I think there's an awakening happening in corporate America also, you know, and just it, across the globe of how people are doing business. And I, I can certainly see a great divide happening, right? We can see it, but like, it's so interesting to me. I know this is kind of, wasn't on my list of things to talk about, but like the future of business, the future of doing business together. And I don't even, I mean, I, even that word, I'm curious if it's gonna evolve, right? Business, the world of business, like what? Because I believe that there's a whole other way, and this is definitely something I'm passionate about supporting leaders, but like, there's a whole other way to do business, to to do growth, to like serve the planet that is like, I just feel like we haven't really begun to tap into what's possible collectively. I know, what are your thoughts on that? Cause like, I'm just, am I like, I'm so idealistic sometimes. I believe if we could really get this and do the work in our hearts, there's a whole other way of doing business on the other side. I see it all the time. I see it every day in my practice, the difference that is happening with leaders who are learning to do this awakening, this courageous work. They are truly entering into what I call the connection era. And it's all about transformation, not information. Right. So, for instance, but the transformation begins within them. And as they show up differently, kind of awakening and evolving and honest about who they are and they know their flaws and they leveraging their gifts, the people around them are like, oh, I want what you've got. So I start to see this ripple effect that not only spreads through the culture, but it also elevates the business metrics. And this is where it's super important. We know that empathy, for instance, impacts the bottom line. And what I say to my clients all the time, empathy doesn't mean that we become empathy holics, that anything goes, right? That anything goes. Thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) There's a big difference between, I hear what you're saying. I know you're struggling right now. Let's talk about that. I'm here for you. And still, your deadlines need to be met. So how are we going to do that? And there's lots of ways we can do that. So it's about empathy and accountability doing this beautiful dance together. So all to say, it's not about, hey guys, now we're going to do kumbaya and woo woo and it's going to be summer camp. It's not. Yeah, there's still accountability. And I, I love what you said about boundaries get to ride shotgun with empathy. And I, I wanted to to dive into this. Well, listening was one of the is one of the seven things that you talk about in your book. And I would say listening is, I mean, among all all of the other things, but listening is definitely a, a t- you know, I feel like I needed to be hit with a two by four <laughs> to get it. And I'm still very much a, a student in the press, but it's a conversation that comes up a lot. And I'm glad that we brought up the topic of empathy and compassion. Like how do we become more effective, better listeners so that we can, and and like, what is what is the difference between empathy and compassion? And I love that you said, this doesn't mean that we have to be like, you know, people will say, I'm an empath. I take everything in and there's no boundaries and there's no structure and it's total chaos, right? So I want to do this in like kind of three parts where like the first one is like, let's, you know, what does it look like? What is the difference between compassion and empathy? And what does that look like and sound like, right? And what does it look like when we begin to, I like it when it's not this or that, it's not boundaries or empathy, but it's they're coexisting and they're actually supporting each other. 
Amen to all of that. In the world. Like, what does that actually look like? You know, because I think people are confused, right? They don't, what's the difference between compassion? What's the difference between empathy? And I have to pick one or the other. I can't be structured and loving. I can't be loving and firm. I can't have, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's either you love structure and you hate emotion or you love emotion and you don't like structure. I think we need both. I think we really need both. And this is where I get myself um, in a little bit of quicksand. I can be an empathy holic. I so understand people's struggles and pain. And what I always have to do, I talk to my people about this, my trusted advisors, my sponsor, is how can I hold people's pain and Mm. still require that they show up? And they do what they're supposed to do. And that could mean that we build in some grace or some softness or a soft place to land, but we still have to show up and deliver. So the difference between empathy and compassion is pretty easy in my book. Empathy is holding space for somebody, understanding, feeling with, and we're able to do that because we also accept ourselves, Christine, compassion is when we put it into action. So I might say to you, oh, I'm so very sorry that you're going through this and just provide a space for you to talk. But when I show up at your doorstep with chicken soup, that's compassion. Mm -hmm. There's action. There's action. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's action. But we can't do other in a really pure way until we give ourselves empathy and we give ourselves compassion yeah and it brings me back to what jesus says about seek first to understand right and it's like i have struggled so much with that in my own life and it's like am i actually seeking to understand but i to your point we cannot understand others unless we're willing to understand what's going on inside this you know chemical reactive beautiful and ecosystem that's going on inside of us like Mm -hmm. some of us are really have become professionals at analyzing everything outside of us sure (laughs) without even looking within and and it's still the constant you know it's constant work in a beautiful way i don't like it when people say oh it's hard work it's hard work i'm i'm like it i don't like that word like it's hard work it's deep work it is deep work but it's it's so beautiful when we're willing to go deep, you know, go oh, deep and wide. It's, I mean, I approach the work with this yeah. sense of sacred awe because yeah. honestly, it is hard. It is deep yeah. and it's hard good. Yeah. It's yeah. deep good. It's, it's yeah. really the way we start to step into our true potential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, often quoted Bible verse is love your neighbor as yourself. People leapfrog over that last phrase as yourself. So we really can't show up for anybody else until we learn to do that for ourselves. And that's where the disconnection is. When we don't do that, that's the disconnection. Yeah. Am I willing to show up for myself? And I want to make sure that before we hop, we also just, you know, give some very practical, what are some like practical ways that someone could, you know, be in this space of like, I see you, I understand it's hard and you, you also still get to, you know, be accountable to that. Like what, you know, can you give some practical examples maybe in the workplace 
as well as in a relationship or one of each, because I think uh, sometimes I, I hear things where people are like, oh, this sounds all great in theory, we're having these conversations, but what does it look like on the ground when the shit's hitting the fan, excuse my language, but it feels like, and you feel like you're kind of walking on grenades and you, there's still responsibility. There's a responsibility here. Absolutely, absolutely. So what I like leaders in the workplace to ask somebody after they hold space for them and show that they're really, I'm with you, I understand you're going through a terribly hard time. There's a very simple question. Mm-hmm. How are we going to move forward? Mm-hmm. How are we going to move forward? Mm-hmm. What do you need? And how are you still going to meet your responsibilities? Mm-hmm. And they have That's to come up with that answer. <laughs> and here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Yeah. I would like you to come back to me by such and such a time. Yeah. And the answer could be, I can't make my deliverables, but how about if I ask somebody else to help? I mean, there's, it doesn't mean that they have to show up. They just have to come up with a plan. Right. Right. And the same thing is true in love relationships, whether they be intimate love relationships, parenting, friendships is to ask people, first of all, tell me more. I think that's such a powerful question. Tell me more. And also the idea of giving them grace and dignity. I know you can handle this. What are your thoughts right now? Mm. And what, and what do you need? Yeah. Mm. Grace and dignity. Grace and dignity. Those are foreign concepts for a lot of us. I would love to kind of invite people to realize what, to really think about what do those mean? Yes. On a daily basis. Yeah. 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 I mean, that is that is that is some deep work right there. And it's beautiful work. Grace and dignity. It is beautiful. It is beautiful work. Well, thank you. I I wanted to give some practical examples there because I do know that's something like we we genuinely are there. You know, leaders were there. Our parents are we're in the boardroom with, with our people. The temptation is so quick to give them the plan and tell them how they're going to move forward. And that is like the sword that you are sticking in your own side because we just cannot, every time we do that, we just took away um, that opportunity for them to, to feel that inner source of clarity and stress yes. and, and to feel the support that you're there and we give them what they need. Like, you know, I love that question of what do you need? to move forward what how can i support you you know but resisting the temptation to do it for them or tell them the plan um i'm speaking from like being a mom of 18 and 20 year old and a 16 year old that get themselves in a lot of hot messes you know and sometimes you're like yeah well okay that sucks and how are you going to handle it how would you know what kind of support do you need right now right but Kudos to you for not jumping in and giving them the opportunity to learn, right? Because as parents, as parents, Christine, we are not here to manage or market our children, but we're told by the larger culture that we are. Manage those kids, market those kids. What are they going to do without you constantly stepping Mm -hmm. in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to learn and they're going to figure it out in terms of their own resilience. 
Which is really what it comes down to, this whole thing, this conversation about being connected to ourselves is, am I willing to let others have their own experience? <laughs> am I willing to honor the experience, right? And let others do it. So um, I just want to thank you for being here. I love this conversation. I feel like this is such a needed conversation on so many levels. And I just encourage all of you listening to make sure that you check out Karen's book, The Connected Leader. Karen, did you say you also have a podcast? I do. It's called Saving You a Seat, available on all podcast platforms. Yep. Saving You a Seat. And I'm curious, I want to ask you one final question before you hop. If, if, if the people listening could only receive one clear message, one thing, like if they were to forget everything else you said, but you wanted to make sure that one thing resonates deep in their bones, that it would just, if you could be like, I get to plant this chip in you, and this would be your level of consciousness moving forward or your awareness, what would you love that to be? There is no outside solution to an inside problem. So approach yourself with grace and self-compassion and honesty. Hmm. So good. There is no outside solution to an inside problem. Whew, that is something I think everybody needs to have on their like, screen. I need to have it tattooed on me. Is this an inside problem or an outside problem? Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being in the conversation. Um, for people to connect with you, where is the number one place you want them to come find you? Obviously, we're going to drop the link to the book in the podcast below. But if people want to connect with you, what is the best place? To do the that. best place would be on Instagram. There's lots of free resources on our website, Karen J. Hardwick. You can find me. <laughs> you can find her. The links are there. And always, I just want to thank you all for being here, for listening, for being part of the conversation. The more people are part of this conversation, you have a ripple effect. You have influence. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute right now, leave a five-star review, or just hit forward and share it with a friend who needs to hear this message. Ask that the spirit just nudge you. Who needs to hear this? Pass it along. This is how you create an impact, and every single one of you can help us co-create that um, by being part of this process. So thank you again for being here. Until next time, here's to loving fiercely and leading courageously as warriors of the heart. Bye for now. Thanks again for joining me in today's episode. It is my intention to bring you valuable, heart-shifting content every time that will upgrade your life. If you're a new listener, make sure you follow the podcast so you can stay up to date as future episodes roll out. And I invite you to head on over and join my free community, Warriors of the Heart on Facebook. In there, you'll find bonus trainings, a game-changing assessment tool, and exclusive member-only offers. Until next time, Warriors. Here's to loving fiercely and leading courageously in the untamed life, the only life worth living.